Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to It May Interest You to Know. I'm joined here today for the podcast with my sidekick, Seamus McDonough, and also a very special guest is with us today. Uh, his name is Grady Craig. He's the VP of Business Development and Operations for Bondit. Uh, and really, I wanted him here today. I mean, he's probably the first employee, I think, ever, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that was hired by Bondit. It was an up-and-coming company at the time. Um, he's executive producing a number of major projects uh, that I hope we're going to get into today. I don't think we'd have enough time to possibly get into all he's involved with, uh, but Bondit is an is at the pinnacle, I think, of the industry right now. So we really wanted to talk to him and he was gracious enough to agree to be here. So I'm going to say thank you and welcome, Grady. Thank you so much for having me and nice to meet you both. Welcome, so, Grady. So, I mean, you you went to Boston College, right? Um, I did. <laughs> so what now what did you major in? Because I know this is interesting. Yeah, so I studied... Economics was my first major, and I was concentrated in entrepreneurship. I had uh, started a, a number of you know, startups and, and companies, a landscaping company that put me through high school, college, done a number of pitch competitions. And so that was an atmosphere I was familiar with. Um, but I did have a curiosity in film and television uh, that I had just had hobbies and enjoyed movies and television and all that. And um, by the time I graduated, I didn't want to shut the door on, you know, an industry I haven't explored yet. You know, I could take a job on the East Coast in New York and banking or finance. Um, but without going to LA, as, as I've been advised by a number of mentors before me that were in this space, I felt like I'd be doing my future and, and my career a disservice. I had met uh, a talent manager at Buffalo 8, which is Bonded's sister company, uh, who offered me an unpaid internship that summer after my senior year. I didn't have a job, uh, but I luckily had some of those businesses to support this move. Uh, I went out to LA. You actually, so didn't your business, I mean, you, you were very uh, young and aggressive. I mean, didn't you fund your move by selling your business? I did. So I, I had kept it on for the summer to get through the internship, see if entertainment was anything that I was passionate about or, or a fit for me. And by the end of that summer, I had made a, an impression on this team and they had offered me uh, a job full time. And that's when I decided I'm going to sever ties with my business, sell it and basically start a new, a new life and career here. Can you tell us a little bit about what the company does and what you do for the company? Sure. So there's sort of two companies. There's co-founders, Matthew Helderman, Luke Taylor. They began Buffalo Productions, which is a full service company. Development support, distribution, post-production, production team in New Mexico. And then they have Bonnet Media Capital, which is the engine that drives a lot of those services. The show that me the business... Money. They're the show me the show money. Show me the money. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so we finance 50 film and television projects per year. Uh, we're a debt financier. We don't do equity or development fund or anything like that. We basically come in when producers or filmmakers have a deal lined up with Lionsgate, Netflix, any distributor that says, 
we love this product, we love this cast, we love this genre, we're going to offer you X millions of dollars when you make this film. You still need the money to go produce it, right? And so you can come to bond it and we'll lend you uh, an amount less than that offer. You make the movie on that. And then when you deliver it to Lionsgate, they pay out you know, a million bucks and that covers our loan. That's the high level summary of, of that space. And what's your role in, in turning the wheel? I am across a number of deals, um, new opportunities, um, structuring them so that there's little risk uh, or as little risk as possible that we can control. Um, that, that can mean like using our payroll companies or producers we work with or post-production, um, making sure that um, when we finance this thing, we're going to make it through to delivery and get repaid. So right now, I mean, every, I, I, I read the newspaper and you're almost in it daily um, with the projects that you have going right now. Um, I think the one I read about the most is the one with uh, Luke Wilson and Bruce Willis, right? Gasoline Alley. Is that, is that probably the hottest one right now? <laughs> There's a number of ones. We do probably five, six Bruce Willis projects per year. Um, some I don't know if you've heard of, but, but, but ones where you see like Luke Wilson and these actors that have a prominent, you know, household reputation, they do catch, catch a lot of news. So is that... I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead, Shannon. So, uh, are you are you a filmmaker also? Or is it just the finance part of it? I consider myself a producer. My strengths being I can connect dots with the right people and places, find opportunities, and it's it goes back to my background in entrepreneurship and in yeah. business. Just being able to bring a team around something that you want because to make. Yeah, basically, without the producer, nothing, nothing's going to happen anyway. So, because I, I, I just went, I went to film school myself and, and found that my boxing career. <laughs> but, uh, and when I went to film school, it absolutely fascinated me. I can see why you're in this business. It absolutely it still fascinates me. And uh, it's, it's so interesting and, and revealing. And, and it's uh, my, my good friend, Joe Estevez, I always mention Joe, uh, said, uh, it's the number one medium to carry a message. And uh, was there anything you were really passionate about that you wanted to uh, produce in film or, or to, uh, to uh, display to the world? In terms of storytelling, there will be a time when there is a project I really want to get behind because I care about its message, its mission, the team. Right now, in the past couple of years, it's, it's really me building a track record and understanding of how do you win in this space? How do you set up projects that actually get made, make their money back and build a reputation behind me that I can do that? And I think down the line, more people will see that. I'll attract probably stronger projects along with this company that continues to grow. And I do see myself either developing a, a project on my own that I care about or, or teaming up with the, the true creatives. Beautiful, beautiful. I have to say, a quick, quick joke here. You, you see, they're doing a, 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 a ET. I mean, I missed that. They're doing a sequel to ET. Really? ETC. 
I've heard that one before. <laughs> I haven't. Thanks, Seamus. So, I mean, are you on set a lot while these projects are being filmed? Not too often, uh, only because we finance so many projects that are shooting everywhere. Um, you know, it's not often that they're in LA, but the ones that I'm across the most, I'll head to. So New Mexico, um, Hawaii. I think each team member here who helps structure a deal is just more, you know, more in the weeds with the production and they'll go to the sets wherever they're shooting. But I probably visit set two to three times per year. So tell us, have you been to the Bruce Willis, Luke Wilson one yet? I haven't been to, to that one in Georgia, but um, I have seen some footage. Uh, there was actually an accident that they had set up these explosions uh, for this big structure um, for this action sequence. And we got the call that they might have used too many, you know, bombs or, or C4 or whatever the de detonation device was and totally destroyed the building next to it and some cars below the building. Um, yeah, that's yeah. an interesting call to get. <laughs> um, so what's your most memorable moment of being on any set that you've been on? Like what, what set have you been on and like really had a moment stick with you? I was on this movie, this is horror comedy called Slayers. I was shooting in New Mexico. Um, Malin Ackerman, Thomas Jane, Abigail Breslin. Um, I think for me, that was the first project that it came to me in the script stage with the director attached. And we had spent a number of months actually developing it for what buyers, distributors, sales agents wanted. And in a number of months, packaged that cast got a greenlit, had my company finance it. And being on set for the first time, it, you know, it's sitting in this seat where we are. It's not often that we, you know, we actually see how our money is being used in real time. We trust the producers to handle the production. But being there and seeing how much actually goes in to creating a film and uh, imploring the, the vision beyond the, the script, um, I think the entire experience was just... Uh, fascinating to see. Sure. Yeah. I would think now that's something you said came to you from script. So you're doing some development yourself. I'd say 80% of my time is spent at Bondit in the, the, the portfolio here. 20% is serving as the role of an executive producer. Given the number of relationships that my company has and that I have it, being in this space with agents, managers, directors, producers, buyers, if something does come across that seems like a slam dunk uh, in terms of genre, team, budget, I have to be pretty selective with those projects, but I can, I can definitely allocate time and resources to developing it, packaging it, pitching it, and effectively greenlighting it. What's the toughest job of the whole production, right? I mean, is getting to be the original producer uh, and to pull it all together is not easy. There's a lot of legwork to be done. Uh, and, and you'll see on any number of films, there's not just one executive producer. There can be, you know, up to 20, 30 sometimes with everybody playing an active role. Yeah. And you wear a lot of hats. You do. Mine's specifically mainly in like packaging, financing, structuring. Uh, but there's certainly others that 
invest equity or have cast relationships um, or are on the ground, as you alluded to, managing the actual production and schedule. Your company has Clerks 2 coming up, right? Are they involved? And I know that because it's filming in New Jersey here. So I heard about it. Clerks 3. Clerks 3. Oh. Yeah. So Clerks 3. Yeah. I stand um, corrected. No, all good. Uh, yeah, we, we, we financed that project. Uh, some of the team was down in, the, in New York uh, on set. Uh, we're huge fans of Kevin Smith. And uh, we, we had actually tried to... Uh, get on the project, the reboot of uh, Jay and Silent Bob uh, a few years back. And it didn't work out, and we were hugely disappointed that we couldn't be involved, but Clerks 3 was our second wind at uh, working with that creative team. So can you tell us a little bit about what projects uh, are the companies working on right now or what maybe you're most excited about? I know there's too many to talk about all of them. There's a couple things that I think are interesting. Uh, across sports and music. Uh, in the sports realm, we've got a project called National Champions. Um, it's currently in post-production. It speaks to a lot of the you know, student athlete discussions and topics going on right now. I know the NCAA has just approved students to get paid for sponsorships. In the um, big Supreme Court case. Yeah, that's right. And this this project is coming out the exact moment that that's occurred uh, where the quarterback and the biggest game, the final championship game of the season is basically staging uh, a coup or mutiny not to play unless these students get paid and get what they want. Um, that's really interesting. We've got another project called The System, which uh, is Jeremy Piven from Entourage, Terrence Howard, Lil Yachty, and we're starting to see, and we've even done uh, an MGK, Machine Gun Kelly, Megan Fox, Bruce Willis film. We're starting to see some of these artists in rap or in country take roles in films. Um, and they bring their followings uh, across social media and their fan base to uh, a new medium. Yo, one of so, your movies, I'm sorry, you go, you go Seamus. Okay, so I'm sure you've seen a lot, you know, my, my background was boxing, and I also went to school with Tony in St. John's University in New York. So what, what do you think about this celebrity boxing thing that's going on? They actually contacted me to, to, to fight somebody, and I'm in, my, I'm in my 50s. What do you think about that stuff? <laughs> well, we've actually seen some of those deals come across where they're looking for a loan advance against potential proceeds from Floyd Mayweather, um, mm -hmm. Or, or these TikTokers, you know, these, these viral characters. It, you can tell there's a real business there. I mean, I think it's been prevalent with just how Conor McGregor carried himself as this marketer and, and, and how a lot of these athletes do. Um, and they, they, they make more money doing that and building a following than they might in a normal fight. Uh, so I think everyone's riding this wave of bringing their fan bases to a new venue um, mm. in this pay-per-view transaction. I, I missed out on, on the internet. I, I, I happened right before the internet. I fought Holyfield, but right before the internet. You know, he fought Saturday. Yeah. Adult, you know, and uh, he, was got, he got over, he got swarmed, you know, which, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm his friend, so I'm, I'm also on his side. But uh, it is, it is like, it's like hype. It's all hype, you know, and... Uh, 
and uh, there is substance behind it but uh, but uh, you know and at, in the in the late 50s guys getting hit in the head it's just not right you know and I, i'm i'm you know I'm, I'm there around the same age you know yeah so, but it's entertainment and that's what people want you know and this makes money and that's you know that going, huh yeah, I'm curious what 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 kept you back from uh, maybe getting back in the ring on some of these opportunities. Well, you know what? Um, I fought for 20 years. You know, I was I was two in the world in a weight division. I actually fought Holyfield at one time, and they wanted me to fight Tyson. I was like, me fight? He's twice my size, you know. So uh, I don't know. You know, I mean, I don't. You know, I'm not rich. You know, I don't. I don't want. I don't need the money that much. You know, but I, I guess I have a child recently, so that's another next expense. As you know, but um, I got tired of being punched. Yeah, I actually became allergic and hit in the head. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask one, one more question on that, uh, not to derail, but how much of it? do you think is staged or, or these fights are prolonged into, into later rounds to feed and fuel the, these audiences? Yeah. Uh, okay. So I think uh, Mayweather carried Connor for a while, long time, you know, <laughs> and yeah. I think, was, I mean, uh, J Jake Paul was, or is it, Jake Paul, yeah, was the big, way much, so much bigger than him. It would be hard for him to knock him. But uh you know, they know that if it's over in like 10 seconds, like Mike Tyson used to do it. That's why they love Muhammad Ali. He always went 15 rounds. He went yeah. 15 rounds of 15, 15 commercials for three for a minute, you know. So there's that aspect to it. But uh, the sad thing about the whole thing is, is that, and another thing I want to mention, if you, if you get into boxing and sports, that stuff, please investigate the phenomenon called PAS, Professional Athlete Syndrome. What what happens to the athletes when it's when all the, the the notoriety and the fame and the training and the attention is over? What happens then, and how do they deal with it? I've been dealing with that for twenty years, you know, and it's it's it it is so um, lethal for athletes. It's it it ruins most athletes' lives, but it doesn't just hit athletes. It hits everyone that has has become some kind of notoriety, and then it's gone. How do you replace it? Yeah, I think, I mean, we're seeing the same thing in, in film with, with huge billing actors, top billing actors from uh, their primes. You know, these Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone, these Bruce Willis movies, Mel Gibson, and they're chasing these paychecks, you know, and these box offices just don't exist anymore with like streaming platforms. And um, it's made it difficult for buyers and sales agents to predict you know new talent coming up you know what are they going to earn in terms of box office revenue or how much can they project on the low end mm -hmm. unless you have tried and true actors like willis or mel gibson that had you know historically hit these numbers because they're well known in the space you can bank that you know, that kind of person. Um, but I think the actors struggle with exactly what you're saying in the professional realm or professional uh, athlete realm is what do we do when these, uh, you know, these awards, the big, the big Oscar winning projects stop coming through. And is it just taking uh, paychecks for these smaller films? And if you have any friends or people, you know, that are going through a bad time, I personally have been shown a solution. 
<laughs> I'll take you up on that. Yeah, I'm sure right. we've got plenty in our, our film roster, too. Well, you guys had an Academy Award-nominated movie a couple of years ago, yes? Maybe Loving Vincent? Is that Was that your project? Yes, we did Loving Vincent. Um, that project came through, I think, pretty randomly. I don't know if it was a GoFundMe or YouTube. Um, the structure just worked out with, you know, we didn't expect it to be, you know, an Academy Award-winning film, but... Um, it just came to us at the right time. And I think that's one of the reasons that Buffalo 8 Productions and Bondit was able to start building serious momentum and space and recognition when you, when you hit a grand slam like that so early. Yeah, and what about, uh, you have a Liam Nielsen project, I wanna say, Honest Thief, is that? Yeah, Liam Nielsen, Honest Thief, yep. I mean, that, yeah. that, go is ahead. That out? Is that out already? I believe it is out, yeah. Next time you see Liam, tell me I need that 20 back as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, you know. Liam, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I was reading over your slate, uh, trying to get a, an idea before I knew you were coming, you know, when I knew you were coming on the podcast, and I was really overwhelmed. I mean, there's John Travolta and Robert De Niro. I mean, Mel, you said Mel Gibson, uh, certainly Bruce Willis. Uh, you really have just a powerhouse slate of projects. We do, and they come to us from all angles, repeat producers who have relationships with De Niro or Gibson and, and do these on volume. And I think that's what it takes, you know, someone in the, in the space that understands how to do these movies correctly, shoot out these big name actors in only a few days, and then focus on the rest of the production at low cost. Um, not, not a lot of locations, and, and that point there became, extremely prevalent during COVID. You know, how can we mitigate risks um, and exposure to, to disease for the actors and the crews um, so that we can finish that movie and turn it in? And what was I mean, the answer? <laughs> What's the answer to that? I think it was staying in, in one or two locations. It was testing one that, you know, every two to three days, um, making sure that they tested negative before they flew, after they flew. Um, we've had instances where directors, talent do get COVID and we have to shut it down for a number of weeks. Um, and it, even in some instances where the director gets COVID and they actually have to direct the production through a live stream setup, like they're in their hotel and coordinated through walkie-talkies, their phone with the, the DP and the assistants um, to get the shot they want. And it's, it's, it's less than ideal, but I think you pose a greater threat delaying a production. And, and, you know, that gives way to more opportunity for other people to get sick in that time frame. And I heard that they produce production costs by 40%. Is that true? In the indie film market, I believe it. I think that they needed to. Like I said, with reducing locations and people on set and extras, uh, but there's other areas of that budget that went, mm. up, including COVID testing and uh, health and safety protocols and all that. What is the impact you think COVID's had on distribution? Well, distribution, I think it's eliminated the box office almost entirely. I think there were areas in the U.S., mainly the, the Southern Belt, I think, that had drive-in theaters, um, which was a, a nominal way to uh, 
garner extra proceeds. Um, but it's gone straight to streaming platforms and TVOD platforms and AVOD platforms um, where you can watch new content from the comfort of your home and not expose yourself to those risks. That's, you know, it's made, it's, it's forced the budgets to come down, uh, you know, 40% or whatever the number is, uh, because that's what the buying number, like that's what the top amount you're going to expect is when you go to direct to a streamer, when you stripped out theatrical from the equation. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, there's always going to be a market though, right? Even though it's kind of reinventing themselves, people love and need entertainment in their lives, right? They need that distraction. So whether you're a reader and you, you need a book or, you know, you love the film industry and you want to watch a movie, there'll always be a market for it. So I guess it'll always find a way to get out. Definitely. I think the other component of that is how much demand there was for that content when you're staying at home that the subscribers increased across Netflix, Amazon, HBO, that subscription increase gives them more buying power to purchase more content. And so we've seen a record number in projects we're financing per year because of how much the distributors are telling us that they want ABC films uh, made ASAP. Um, and so we just had to get comfortable with COVID uh, and those type of risks to, to take advantage of the space that banks and other you know high net worth investors couldn't get comfortable now most of the projects you appear to be uh, working on are you know major projects do you have any uh, i guess Seamus alluded to it early on do you have any passionate project that's like the little engine that could uh you know something where maybe someone's not famous but it's just stolen your heart away and you you're trying to get it done I think there's a couple of those uh, that some of our team can't really shake loose because it's just something we care about and want to see make it through. I mean, we, we do see them, I think, weekly. And unfortunately, we, we just have to pass on most of them. But there's a couple series that are pretty close to my heart um, in, in the nonprofit space, in music, uh, that I want to see succeed. And I can't speak to them yet just because we're still in the packaging phase and bringing in you know, directors and talent that want to be a part of it. Those projects still exist. It's just a longer time frame, I think, till you see those get made. Are you spending a lot of time sifting through or taking pitches? Yeah, I'd say we probably see 500 to 1,000 projects per month at our, across our company. Wow. Um, and 99% of them, don't have the security or collateral we need to finance, but it does give you the opportunity to see some really interesting things that you want to executive produce, you want to help get made in, in, in one way or another. Uh, and that's sort of the advantage of the show me the money uh, aspect of this. Sure. And how do the company, how do your companies work together, your sister's company? There's three companies. There's ABS Payroll, which is production payroll services for indie film and television. Uh, the production side at Buffalo 8 is, you know, ancillary support, post-production, production in New Mexico, development and distribution. And then Bonnet as a financier. When we're financing a project and we can 
use our post-production facility or we can use our production and line producing team in New Mexico and we have ABS payroll involved. We're mitigating our risk and we're essentially self-bonding the, the entire production process uh, and making sure that our capital is being used appropriately and things aren't getting out of hand. Um, and so for us, that's great. It, it allows us to offer cheaper capital to the producers I think cheaper discounts across some of those services. And it's it's seamless for the producers because it's a lot of the things that they need for any production all in one location. Are they looking for another boxing movie? <laughs> they are. I, I probably see a couple boxing movies per month as well. I think there's three that I saw uh, in the last three weeks. And it's just figuring out which actors can, can play those roles. Um, mm that you maybe you haven't seen, but are the creative fit? Um, but maybe you can give a cameo role uh, to like these Sylvester Stallones that will give distributors some, some uh, confidence. I'm, I'm Sylvester in, in Beverly Hills about a year, two years ago. We talked for half an hour. I didn't even mention that I'm an actor, that I made film. I don't know, I'm not a good uh, promoter. <laughs> oh my gosh well i'd love to hear what kind of projects you have well, i'm sure you've got a number of ideas or 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 friends in your field that have either docs or features or scripted stuff that they want to work on okay thank you well john was here not that long ago john duddy and seamus are uh, super good friends um he's blowing up really uh, he's in a bend in the river now um so they work very well together. I know Seamus and John have done some stuff together. Well, the art. No. <laughs> <laughs> so now let's let me talk just a one little bit about creativity because that's the thing I enjoy the most. I think about doing the podcast, kind of picking the brain of people you know who are in the creative world. What's the most creative control you have over these projects? Or how much creative control? Maybe that's a better way of putting it. We, we certainly have some sway if we're fully funding these projects. Um, but we also don't want to get it in the way of the story. Um, there's a balance, I think, that we need to be wary of. And that's how can we control this thing so that it makes it makes sense in terms of like logistics and cost, but also give way to the director or the writer's vision. Um, things that we tend to, to stay away from in terms of interfering with the creative, we need to approve the director, um, but we ultimately trust if they're on board this project that they can, they can handle it. Um, we, we really look at the producers, the line producers, the editors, have they, you know, can they edit the raw footage into a delivered assembly that a distributor wants. Um, we give notes on every script and we'll take the feedback we're getting from buyers uh, for what audiences want and what they don't want and instill that into maybe scenes of the script. Um, but we're not overhauling you know, from the ground up any of these projects. Is that something that you see yourself one day writing uh in any capacity, like writing a script of your own? I mean, do you have that creative drive or are you really happy in the zone you're in? I do. I'm a really slow writer and a really slow reader. Um, 
I think at some point I'll have the motivation to do that. Um, you know, I think I'd be doing myself a, a disservice by building this career and building these connections in the space and not ever, uh, like I said, giving something like that a try. And I'm sure by now you have a lot of great stories to tell with your experience. <laughs> yeah, as long as I'm not stealing them from, from the number of projects we've seen, it'll be tough for me to come up with something original. <laughs> I think I think living life is the best way, right? You, you live your life, you come into contact with people. And I, I did a lot of 30 years uh, practicing law. I did a lot of divorce work. And I used to say, you just can't make that stuff up. <laughs> you know, and, and living life just exposes you to, you know, seeing that kind of stuff. And I think it makes you all the better storyteller. I'm sure there's comedies and dramas and horrors that you can develop from any of those experiences you've had. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there are just those moments where you say, yep, <laughs> nobody would imagine that that would really happen. <laughs> but nonetheless, it did. Amazing. Well, we're out of time. I, I do hope you're, you'll be willing to come back uh, and talk to us as you develop additional projects uh, and as you know things are coming out, you'd be willing to come back and talk to us some more? Of course, definitely. I'd love to. Okay. Brady and does it, buddy, don't hurt nobody. <laughs> I'll take that advice. Nice to meet you, Shannon. and nice to meet you, Tony. Likewise. So we're going to say goodbye from everybody here at uh, It May Interest You to Know. Bye.